Greetings, folks. It is I, the Epicness, here to tell you some important things going on here at Two Nerdskis and a Podcast. The journey to Spider-Man No Way Home is here, beginning from November all the way to the release of the highly anticipated Spider-Man No Way Home. Here the Nerdskis swing through the adventures of Spider-Man on the big screen. Stay tuned, folks. It's bound to be amazing. The following podcast contains assloads of spoilers. We here at Two Nerdskis in a Podcast are firm believers in preserving all the surprises of a genuine film viewing experience. And Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Whoa. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ever dance with the devil in the bed? Inconceivable! Cowabunga! I thought this was a party! It's two Nerdskis and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Nerdskis. Two Nerdskis. And that's as far as parroting that line as I'm going to go with that. But anyways, folks, welcome to another fine Saturday special here at Two Nerdskis in a Podcast. It is I, Eric, here. Um, Jeff is not here available this week. He is um, taking some time off, um, whereas I, on the other hand, um, am keeping the show kind of rolling, if you will. Um Hope you all enjoyed Horror Month. That was definitely quite the uh, fun time, but um, now it's time to get on to some bigger and better things. Um, I wouldn't say maybe maybe not better, but you get the idea. But anyways, folks, uh, yeah, so we're moving on to the next portion of the show. But before we get there, I thought I'd take a little bit of time to talk about something I just saw finally recently, and that was uh, No Time to Die. The 25th James Bond film. And um, aside from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's the second long-running film franchise in existence. Um, Because, yeah, like I said, Marvel Cinematic Universe has pretty much topped that by that point. But, um, yeah, I definitely had things to say on the movie. But, you know, I thought um, instead of doing it by myself, I thought I'd bring on someone else to help out. And lo and behold, I thought that... Josh would be a pretty good um, candidate, and he has some interesting things to say about um, the film itself, too. So, um, at this point, let's go ahead and take a look, and or take a look, take a listen to see what uh, Josh and I have to say about No Time to Die. I'll be back at the uh, ending of the recording to give my final thoughts and uh, go from there, but I'll see you then, folks. Okay, well, we are we have started. Josh, I'd like to welcome you once again back to the show. It's a pleasant uh, time to hear your voice again. How is everything with you? Well, thanks for uh, for having me on this particular po- uh, podcast, especially because Daniel Craig is my favorite James Bond, and this is my favorite saga of the film. So I'm happy to be here, and everything's just uh, going swimmingly. 
Well, um, yeah, uh, we're here to talk everything Bond. James Bond. Curious, uh, what's what happened to Jeff today? Um, Jeff is uh, Jeff is preoccupied at the moment. He sends his love, though. By the way. Okay, he's gonna laugh when I tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like he's heard the story before, but uh, before we get there, though. So, anyway, so yes, um, we're here talking about No Time to Die. Um, it has been rather, it's been rather a long time since we had a Bond movie in theaters. So the last movie was uh, Spectre back in like 2015 or 2015, and now here we are in 2021. It's supposed to come out last year, but because of the whole pandemic and everything, here we are finally talking about um, a brand new James Bond movie. But so, Josh, I'm going to start off with, uh, I'm going to start off asking not with the movie, but like, what is your What's your history with James Bond? Because I know everyone has a different sort of like history of James Bond. Everyone has their preference for different actors uh, who have played Bond and like their favorite Bond film. So, uh, yeah, what's your um, what's your story, Josh? Um, well, the story of me becoming a fan of this franchise is, to say the most part, an interesting yet funny one. Like I, for the years, or for over many, many years, I was always familiar with the franchise but i'd never gotten into it but then when no time to die was hitting theaters last year at the time and till COVID hit i actually got into all the movies for the first time i started from the sean connery era all the way up to daniel craig and i was um i had just finished specter and i was all, all prepared to finally see this movie in april of last year when it was still set and then a couple of weeks later yeah <laughs> So to to put in the to put into layman's terms from my observation. So I've said this before. Me, Josh, and Jeff we're all part of the same Discord group, um, and um, shout out to those guys. And uh, we were like Josh had basically like given out like details of like you know I've now watched this movie. I've seen this, and like I'm pretty good. I'm all ready to go. And so like about a month or two leading up to maybe the movie hitting or whatnot, um, COVID hits and you know, the movie is going to get delayed by, I guess a month or whatnot. It's like, okay, fine, Josh, you're, you're, you're doing okay. The movie gets delayed another several months. You're like, okay, uh, let's get in there. Um, and then, uh, it gets delayed by almost a whole year and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like what the series fuck? Um, and you were, and like the thing, and you had prepped so much for the movies. Like, yeah, you said you watched everything from Dr. No all the way to Spectre. Like you were like seriously committed. I remember seeing your Facebook posts saying like, all right, I'm now onto this film. I'm now onto this film. I'm now onto this film. And you were just so driven on a mission. You know, like you do a lot of like admittedly, Josh, you do a lot of like prep work for watching movies. Like I've always noticed that you are always like, let's say if you're going to watch another MCU film, you're going to watch like maybe you'll do like a full blown out MCU marathon or maybe you'll just watch a few like pivotal movies leading up to it. So like I think, for example, when you watched uh, I think it was Black Widow, maybe you maybe watched like all the movies that she was in and then went from there. Um, And then maybe if you did Spider-Man, you watched like all the preceding Spider-Man movies and went from there. Um, But yeah, Josh, you I remember you were just so ready for spec uh, for No Time to Die. And then like the delays just gave you a massive case of uh, cinema blue balls. And you're just like, fuck. 
Yep, pretty much. I mean, I was loving getting into the franchise. That'll always be special to me, but it's unfortunately the only thing people see is the joke that I um, <laughs> that I got screwed over. So before we actually get into No Time to Die itself, Josh, what I was kind of curious is, do you have a, do you, I mean, like, I know how I prefer my James Bond. I'll get into that. But um, how, like, do you have a preference for James Bond actors? Um, do you have a preference for which Bond film is your favorite? And uh, yeah, again, yeah, go I ahead actually, and clarify. I actually do. For Sean Connery, my favorite would be Goldfinger. No doubt. That's a great one. Um, for Roger Moore, my favorite would be The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and I consider him an underrated Bond, Timothy Dalton. My favorite was License to Kill. And Pierce Brosnan is easily Goldeneye. Me? No love for Lazenby, I imagine. Oh, I always forget about Lazenby, probably because he only did one movie. But I love that one, yeah. too. Everyone forgets about Lazenby, doesn't he? Um, I've, I'll be honest, I haven't seen um, Lazenby. I haven't seen Honor Majesties. Secret Service, to be honest, um, I I think I might have seen a little bit here and there on TV because I remember back in the day, like they used to air Bond films like during the holiday season, like all the time. Uh, they don't do that as much anymore. Um, so I pretty much have a similar list to Josh in terms of favorite Bond films. Um, I would replace Goldfinger with from uh, from Russia with Love. I like that one a little bit more than. Uh, I mean, Goldfinger is like it is the archetype of a Bond film. But for me, I've always liked From Russia with Love a little bit more because there was a little bit more of an espionage like thriller like theme to it. It wasn't like pure like, OK, he's driving the Ashton Martin uh, DB5. He's going around shooting around Goldfinger. He's not fi he's fighting a henchman, but it's like one of the best fights in the entire franchise. Um and like it's a really cool like yeah it's a little small little espionage thriller that feels Hitchcockian I'm not gonna lie uh, but you know it works I, I like it a lot um, yeah but yeah I agree uh, with Josh pretty much I'm like for me I'm not gonna say which Bond film is the greatest because you know that's like saying like one Bond actor is better than the others I like to go by kind of what Josh is going with like uh, Sean Connery. It, from Russia with love and then like the rest, you know, so on and so forth. And then like the argument for lazy me is like, so just so like how, it, so then when you just get to, um, on your majesties with lazy me, it's just like, how is lazy me in that movie? That sort of stuff. But, oh, yeah. um, but yeah, I have a very similar kind of sentiment with Josh. Um, but you know, I, I, unlike Josh though, I have been watching bond movies pretty much forever. Uh, ever since, as far as I can remember, um, I do remember having, my brother owning a Nintendo 64 and I do remember GoldenEye was, you know, GoldenEye for the 64 was a common game in the household at the time. Um, and then I'm um, right now I'm actually, I have a PlayStation. I have, yeah, I have a PlayStation two. And recently I got, finally got my hands on two bond games that are considered like classics, uh, everything or nothing. And, uh, the video game adaptation of from Russia with love. So I'm playing those games right now. Um, just because I was feeling, a feeling bondy or whatnot but yeah um so then yeah let's get into it josh so um i guess josh real quickly though do you have a you mentioned um you mentioned obviously your favorite bond movies by actor do you have a uh preference for who plays bond in your opinion yeah i i do um my absolute favorite without a doubt in my mind is daniel craig um 
And my other two after that, it would be Sean Connery, Timothy Dalton, uh, I think Jake, uh, Pierce Brosnan, George Lazenby, and Roger Moore. I mean, no disrespect to Roger Moore. He's just not my favorite, favorite Bond. He's just doesn't have the for me doesn't have that oomph the other actors brought to the role at least in my the opinion with the exception of spy who loved me that's interesting um no yeah the spy who loved me so personal personal kind of history with um my family and spy who loved me like none of my family has any involvement with that movie but when my parents got married um you know so every every um couple who gets married like they have a walking they have a song for walking down the aisle and their song was carly simon's nobody does it better which is of course the theme song for uh the spy who loved me so um that's yeah that song holds a very special place in our family's hearts let's put it that way um but yeah so then now we get into of course let's get into let's get into it finally let's talk about no Time to Die, which is, of course, the 25th Bond film overall, and, of course, the final film starring Daniel Craig as 007 himself, James Bond. Um, I want to start off with no spoilers first. So, Josh, uh, without spoiling anything right now, how do you how do you feel about No Time to Die? Because I know there's been a I've, I've I recently watched it and I know there have been a lot of mixed reactions to it. Most of them positive, but I'm curious how you feel about it. Personally, I loved it. I thought it was great. Personally, I I do understand some parts of the mixed reactions, but I think the only reason these reactions are a thing is because people weren't expecting the movie to end this way. I think they thought it was going to end like a Sean Connery installment or a Roger Moore installment or something where um, it, it leads into the next film or it's like, yeah. It's hard to say this part without spoiling it, so I'm really trying here. Um, <laughs> uh, I think they really thought it was going to end in a way where um, it leads into another film, um, and it, they can just have another actor take over the same way Sean Connery up to Pierce Brosnan did. Like when you do another movie, another actor can just take over the role. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for me, because um, I I find I watched this. Fairly recently, it was only a couple of days ago as of this recording, and I finally saw it. It was still playing in theaters, luckily, so I just went over quickly to check it out. Um, and then I saw that it was, I saw that you could like stream it, um, that you rent it or buy it digitally. And I took a look and um, afterwards and uh, just prepared for this. And so, you know, for I, I've always liked Daniel Craig, I thought Daniel Craig did a really solid job. Obviously, you know, Casino Royale is. For my money, like the best Daniel Craig film for me, um, I think I think you might have said Sp- Skyfall, but for me, it's um, Casino Royale instead. It's but um, actually, but, fun yeah. fact about Casino Royale: that movie's director also did the Pierce Brosnan installment, Goldeneye. Yeah, Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell is the if you want a director who can really um, jumpstart your new um, era of Bonds Except or new actors, Lantern, get the guy. But- yeah get yeah get um get martin campbell who yes unfortunately did direct um he did unfortunately direct the green lantern movie but then he also did a movie with jackie chan called the foreigner which is actually really solid but and also that stars pierce but he also did uh mask of zorro i think that was really good yeah that's right that was that that's an actually i love that movie that's actually a really good zorro movie um not that i've seen any other zorro films but the point still stands but but yeah so 
for this one, I was like, I was going into it knowing that this was Daniel Craig's last movie, and I was curious how they were going to do it. And I'm like, because I'm sure we'll get, we'll definitely get into it for sure. But I feel like for what they did, this was the best kind of ending they could do for Daniel Craig's era. Like this is, this is the way it, this is the best way it could have gone. Sure. You can argue that it could have gone a different way and we could have led with another actor. But I think for Daniel Craig's time as bond, like they, they made it a way where I know, I know a lot of people will find me, find me saying this is controversial, but you know, I felt like it was a, proper send off and i feel like this was probably the only way you could send off this variation of bond um whereas like every other versions of bond kind of just go into the next thing or whatnot but like i feel like this is the way to go i feel like daniel craig's performance was really great um i everyone actually does a really solid job uh, i mean uh i feel like the plot itself is a little dry and kind of like kind of just like uh, a little bit in terms of just all over the place it's not exactly a film that i would it's not exactly a bond plot that is um complicated it kind of feels like they're going into like old school bond territory by really like amping things up with like the plot of the villains like the villains plan and um just the grandiose uh side of things or whatnot because in the previous bond films they've been actually kind of a little bit more smaller scale in terms of like villain plots but in this one it's like you it's there but it, it's not it doesn't add too much but like what's more interesting are the characters behind the story like the characters themselves are really well done it's just that the actual story and script itself is kind of just mm, or whatnot um but yeah and i think some of the best standouts obviously i think craig is a great standout but um i i i, I think that um Leia Sado does a much better job here than she did in Spectre. I do remember watching clip going back and rewatching her stuff in Spectre. And um, I thought she was, I thought she was good in that movie, but I feel like she does a lot better here. Yeah. Me uh, too. Cause, Especially cause, cause she, she does more to do to work with. She was what? Yeah. I, I agree. Especially because of this movie, she gets more material to work with. She does. Doesn't she? I doesn't do you, do you feel like she, yeah. I mean like, do you feel that, uh, how do you feel about um because this is the this is I would say since from Russia with love this is the first time that a bond girl has actually returned um and how do you how do you feel about the evolution of her character this time around I really lo- appreciated it I liked her character inspector but I didn't love her but I thought like her her relationship with bond and what they had I thought it was a good and interesting element of Spectre, and I had hoped no time to die might expand on it more, and I was happy when it did. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they did it too, and I'm I'm really glad that they were able to expand on her character as well. And you know, the surprise character for me was actually um, Ana de Armas' character as Paloma. Um, the reason I say that is because when I saw the ads, um, when I saw the trailers or so, I. I had this impression that she was playing kind of a very kind of like a very, very kind of like uptight kind of uh, by the book CIA officer or whatnot. Cause she's, ba- she's basically playing a, like a CIA contact or agent um, who's part of Felix Leiter's group. Um, but it, no, like I, I should have expected, I should never have expected that from Ana de Armand. Like she is 
she's like jovial, jovial. She's like lively. She's obviously lovely and stunningly gorgeous. But like, but no, like she, she's also kick ass and just she lighten, she like lightens up the scene every time she appears on screen. And I feel like she did a wonderful performance. Um, I don't know how you feel about her performance. Oh, I loved her in this movie. I mean, let's say between this, the Blade Runner and Knives Out, I am loving her. I can't wait to watch her on that Marilyn movie she's going to be in. I thought I really wish she had more screen time in this movie, but I was also happy about the screen time she had. And this is also not the first movie she's done with Daniel Craig. She starred with him in the hit movie Knives Out two years earlier, which they were both also. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. right with uh, directed by Ryan Johnson, right? Uh, the same guy that did Star Wars. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> I know how people feel about his Star Wars movie for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, overall, um, yeah. There's. How do you feel about? Because, because, um, I guess at this point that this is the time where we get into spoilers. Um, so everyone, we are recommending No Time to Die. It may seem like we're a little bit more overtly positive, but, um. We'll definitely get into more criticisms because you kind of have to talk about the movie itself by spoiling it. So everyone, um, if you want to if you want to hear us talk about spoilers, but you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie first and then come back. But anyways, Josh, let's get into the main thing that everyone's going to be talking about, and that is the ending. So long story short, James Bond dies. Which was a first for a James Bond movie. Yeah, it, it really is kind of, isn't it? Like, it's it's not a... It's a very... Yeah, like... I mean, the idea is that... So, the main villain, who's played by Rami Malek, um, Safin, who, let's face it, he's totally... Even though he's not called... He's not called that in the movie. He's Dr. No. Like, I like to think of him as the Craig version of Dr. No. Um he actually uh, it's funny you say that because when he was casted people thought that's who he was gonna play i remember yeah um i definitely remember that but no i remember but uh yeah basically he has this plot with uh, nanobots that target specific people um and cause them to die upon um, reaching their target um and then like if they if like they're spread through immediate family members they will die so long story short Safin before he dies like infects bond with uh nanobots that will kill madeline and um his daughter which we will get into later and so bond decides that after shooting after just you know cold coldly just shooting safin um dead he goes to um open the payloads and uh is for and just basically tells madeline i'm not coming back and whatnot and so he um you know the British Navy, the British Navy, like fires the missiles and, uh, yeah, he dies and, um, he dies in the ensuing, like explosions, um, impact that the missiles make. And so and he dies from there and he gets, uh, he gets a nice little, like, um, yeah. cheers or toast to toast to him by the rest of the MI6 Scooby gang, if you will. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Madeline drives off into the sunset with um, with her kid, yeah, with her daughter Matilda, uh, which is another thing that a lot of people were really surprised by is that like James Bond actually has a kid. Um, but yeah, Josh, how do you how do you feel about this ending? Because this is the this is probably the one thing that most people are going to be wanting to talk about most 
is just how this movie ends. Well, for, I felt satisfied with this ending. I thought it made... I, I liked how they changed up the lore a bit by actually having making him have a kid this time around because I felt like for this particular story in Bond, it made sense a sense because uh, this was his story, not someone else's. Because And I had heard rumors beforehand of the movie potentially Bond and is a father with a child. Well, and so I believed maybe it's in the movie, maybe not. I'll believe it when I see it. And then when it did happen, I was like, okay, I want to see where they're going with this. And then when they get, got to the end of the movie where he's sacrificing his life he for Madeline and Mathilde. That's actually her name. You got you called her Matilda. <laughs> um, no, I said Matilde, not Matilda, but you're right, well, though. I was close. Sounded like... <laughs> I was close. I was close, admittedly, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, there was that. Uh and I thought it was nicely done. It was a nice change of pace for a James Bond movie, and I personally appreciated it. And I thought it raised the stakes for James Bond's character for Daniel Craig because he has actually something to save now. Because when you go from Casino Royale up to this point, he's had nothing. He lost uh, the first woman he ever loved, Vesper. He lost his friend uh, Mathis in Quantum of Solace M died in Skyfall. And then he met Madeline Inspector. So at this point, I felt like it was the character could at least have some semblance of a happy life. I mean, for a little while. Yeah, it, I mean, so because the thing is, because now there is the idea of like, well, does Bond, you know, what's the future of Bond movies going from there? Are we going to focus on like Bond's legacy and his daughter or do we like go on with a new james bond actor and like most people are now saying like let's go on with a new james bond actor i'd rather i'd rather wait maybe about i don't know i'd rather wait 10 years let the franchise like take a break and um see where it goes from there but yeah i mean i do like the idea that bond you know yeah bond is pretty much lost pretty much has lost everything in his life but, like there's an idea of there's something i actually thought was interesting i was listening to a roundtable of like bond bond enthusiasts talking about like how like um how there's kind of been like a recurring theme of trust if you will in the bond series like bond you know um learns to trust uh bond is learning to like trust people he loses that trust um he learns the he learns how to not trust people um when vesper dies because vesper was the love of his love of his life and uh, he, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of, he doesn't really, re he really can't rely on anyone because it's hard for him to trust anyone, especially after what happened there. Oh, yeah. Um, he can't learn to fall in love any anymore because of Vesper. Oh, yeah. Um, the people who, the people who are closest with him die. And uh, yeah, he's, it's, it's difficult for him. And then when he meets Madeline, he, he meets, he gets some sort, he gets some sort of semblance of trust and then spoil and then well, well yeah we're in spoiler territory already but like you know at the beginning of no time to die like he loses faith in madeline because he's led to believe that spec that she's a member of specter and she's leading him to her death i mean she's leading him to his death just like their vesper death, did. her death too yeah just like vesper and so you know he felt like he but she betrayed the trust and you know she um uh, he abandons her. Yeah. But what are you going to say, Josh? That's one thing I liked about the movies. I mean, was, as we mentioned, Vesper was his first love, but I think that's what made Bond the character he was to begin with. Like, I mean, after she's died, he's just talking to Ed, like, yeah, the mission's done. Bitch is dead. Mm -hmm. Like, that's when, he, that's when he turned cold. 
that's when you be, that's when you get the iconic scene from the end of Casino Royale where he shoots Mr. White. He's all like clad up in um, fancy and like fancy attire, um, brandishing that MPK five, and he's got um, and uh, you know you hear the Bond theme finally playing for the first time in the movie, and he says um, and he says the classic line of uh, the name Bond, James Bond. I'm not I can't attempt to do it in a, a suave voice like that. I, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> the name's Bond. James Bond. That's the closest you'll get. <laughs> but uh but yeah, uh throughout the entire throughout his entire tenure, I mean, obviously like M forces uh Money Penny to fire you know, take the shot at the beginning of Skyfall in the pre-title sequence, you know, like Bond is like for Bond is unfortunately shot and he falls into the river below off of off a moving train and he like he stays dead for several months um and then like he comes back and uh yeah and like he could have he could have let uh everything die but no he he just he decided to come back out of loyalty which is another thing too that's also a recurring theme if you will i mean like but yeah trust is really the most recurring theme ever in in craig's time I almost feel like we can't leave this out. They also had the title theme song, No Time to Die, by Billie Eilish. Uh, the, the majority of Bond films always have a theme song, and in this movie's case, it was Billie Eilish. And I have to say, I quite liked the song she cooked up. Well, well, that's nice to know, Josh, because that's actually one of my main things I didn't like about the movie. I like the pre-title. I like the title sequence itself. I thought it was a nice design. I like the callback to... Um, Dr. No with like the dots all over the place at the beginning. But yeah, I wasn't, I don't know. I haven't, to be fair, I haven't listened to, uh, listened enough to Billie Eilish. I'm not like the biggest fan. I mean, like she kind of reminds me of like a younger Lana Del Rey. Um, but I'd rather listen to Lana Del Rey because at least, I don't know. I feel like Lana has got a little bit more range. <laughs> I feel like for me at least. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of, I w- I'm not the hugest fan of, uh, Billy Eilish, Eilish's like theme, like I mean, in the previous Bond films, we had some pretty fucking outstanding themes. I mean, like throughout the entire Bond series, there all the themes have kind of been like ups and downs. But like, I feel like you know, uh, Chris Cornell, may he rest in peace, had an amazing big smash opening with um, Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Yeah, I don't know Adele what you say. Skyfall. I don't know what you're talking. What was that? Adele had Skyfall. That was Adele had an amazing theme with Skyfall. Um, Sam Smith's theme for uh specter uh writings on the wall that was that was actually a pretty good i I like that one i don't i think it's pretty much universally agreed that uh jack white and alicia keys is um um bizarre another way to die is very bizarre for a theme um yeah and we have the like beautiful kills duran duran i mean that's great i mean that's great but um but yeah i mean like obviously What is actually, actually, side note, Josh, what's your favorite Bond theme in general? Like, it's, if you, if of all the Bond movies, like, which, which Bond theme is your favorite? That one's really hard to say because there's so many good ones. I can't, honestly can't really pick one. Um, I can name a few off the top of my head for me. I, I mean, obviously, few. I just can't name my favorite favorite because it's hard to pick one. Right, right. So I guess, I mean, for me, you know, I've always loved um, Tina Turner's Golden Eye. That's like a banger. Um, garbage is the world is not enough is a really great one. Um, the aforementioned, um, um, Chris Cornell's theme. Um, God, what the hell is that one? You know, my name. Yeah. You know, my name is really great. 
Uh, yeah. Skyfall is also really great. Yeah, those, um, those are some of my favorites. Um, I also really like, obviously, of course, The Spy Who Loved Me. And I also like uh, The Living Daylights by uh, Ahas. Those are That's a really good one, too. Yeah, um, some of those. Let's see. I also liked Shirley Bassey's Diamonds of Forever and Goldfinger. And uh, I thought her Moonraker song was pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone's... I, I, by the way, what were they thinking? I, I don't like Madonna's theme for... Uh, no, oh, uh, for Madonna. Dino today. I mean, I think that's the worst one to be honest. If I'm going to be well, serious. it's a, a terrible theme in a bad movie. So honestly, it kind of fits. <laughs> so side note, um, the, I've only seen two Bond movies in theaters. Unfortunately, I never. I this the only Craig movie I ever saw in theaters was No Time to Die. I've never seen any of the previous ones, which is surprising because I. Um, but yeah, I, I never watched any of those movies in theaters, but. The last movie I saw in theaters with Bond was unfortunately um, Die Another Day. <laughs> you sorry bastard. I was, hey, I was like nine years old when it happened. Uh, it was a family thing. Like all the family were together. Um, cousins included were like, hey, it's a rainy day. Let's all go to the movies. Let's go watch. Uh, yeah, this movie. And we all went and saw um, we all went and saw Die Another Day. And I remember liking it a lot when I was a kid. I look back at it now. I'm thinking this is movie's kind of bad, isn't it? Like CGI is like all over the place. It's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Not the best, not the best bond movie ever made. Um, unfortunately, um, in terms of ranking bond movies, don't, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's like almost an impossible task, but, but anyway, so going back to going back to, uh, title sequences, I like the, I like the idea. I like the title sequence presented here. And, um, no time to die. Like, as I said earlier, it begins with like the, it remind the opening with the dots reminds me a lot of the Dr. No title sequence. Um, and then like, I seen a video where like, there's a little bit more references like falling statues or resemblance of golden eye. Um, I th- there's the, there's a Triton and everything. That's very, resemb- that's very much a reference to honor majesty's by the way, this movie has a lot of references to honor majesty's secret service. And uh, we can definitely get into that. Uh, oh, yeah. Not just that movie. I think it's got tons of Bond references. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's yeah. a lot of ton of Bond references. Yeah, like you said, the Doctor No one, and maybe it's just me, but I can't help but feel like the words "fool me once, fool me twice." I'm so sorry. Uh, maybe it's a <laughs> reference to "You Only Live Twice." I think there. I think there is. There might be another reference to "You uh, You Only Live Twice" in there somewhere. I'm not too positive, but I, um, I listened to the song recently. I didn't hear that. Just the part I just did. Hmm. So, I mean, in terms of, so, I mean, in terms speaking of, since we are talking about the score itself, so, uh, David Arnold, um, longtime composer was not part of this movie. Um, he didn't compose the film for this one. I think he, let's see, I'm trying to look. So I, cause I know he did Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. I think for Skyfall and, um, Spectre, it was Thomas Newman. And so who do they get for the final outing for Daniel Craig? None other than Batman, <laughs> Batman composer himself, Hans Zimmer, who is like the biggest name for superhero composers and I mean, superhero scores and just like epic scale scores and Nolan scores in general. And ironically, um, uh, Casino Royale is considered Batman Begins for James Bond. So how ironic. Yeah, th- that's another that's another interesting parallel. Is it? It's essentially like you watch Daniel Craig's movies and the Dark Knight trilogy. So like the first two um quantum i mean casino and quantum they're basically batman begins um you go to 
you go to the middle skyfall that's the dark knight and then you go to the middle you go to the last two specter no time and you get basically the dark knight rises um where does quantum go (laughs) i said quantum was part of i said quantum and casino were basically batman begins oh sorry i just missed that part (laughs) but no but but no it is a good point though like it's you have this movie is very much very much a um very much a uh, theme of which because like it definitely has a true definitive beginning middle and like this is the other thing too i've always really liked about no time to die is that we're all over the place but that's part of the usual for the show but no time to die is um I, I feel like is a celebration of everything bond. Um, Cause like, there's a lot of references in there itself. Um, but like, but like what I was going to say is that um, I just remember now, geez, <laughs> that like Daniel Craig's bond films are really the only series of bond films that actually have a continuity and real like running storyline through them, if you will. Like, they are i mean like they have separate adventures but they really have a lot of recurring themes and um story structure storylines from previous films or whatnot so like um i mean like in the previous bond films from connery to brosnan like yeah they'd have references to previous bond films here and there like you know like there'll be references to bond's wife Teresa and uh on her majesty's who was murdered uh, or assassinated on the wedding day and like there'll be references to um, some other stuff here and there. Like, I mean, Die Another Day just has a lot of references in like Q's uh, workshop of like all the different gadgets used in the previous films or whatnot. But yeah, here, like there is a, like a true definitive, like beginning, middle and end for Daniel Craig's Bond. Like you get, you literally see his Bond, like start from like this rookie double O agent with an ego to an agent who is willing to sacrifice his life. So he's not, so that, uh, his family doesn't have to suffer a more a far worse fate, um, and and that's you know that's that's for me. I mean, like I love continuity, um, and I I really like the storyline they presented in these past five films. Yeah, me me too. And that's one thing I appreciated about the Craig movies. When I was watching the other eras of films, I w- I didn't feel like I was watching one big story play out. Out. That's why while I was enjoying them, that's what made Daniel Craig stand out for me the the connective story that was going on you're watching basically one-offs with um you're basically watching a ton of one-offs for the past 20 films from connery to brosnan yeah and then when you get to numbers 21 through 25 of course that's where you get a real like big storyline but then again i think that's kind of the point i mean like it's not i mean sure they didn't really plan it out like they did with um like they did with the mc with the mcu or whatnot but like you know they had these ideas of how like, yeah, you want to connect it with this and you want to connect it with that. Like you're keeping it consistent and you're keeping the character development, like consistent with bond. Like he, he learns to eventually trust again. And at this point, you know, uh, by the, by the end of his death, like he comes to fully trust Madeline and everyone else. And that's, a that's another cool thing too. I liked um, was this was like, so, Obviously, the movie be- the movie begins with him retiring, having retired from the service, and um, and um, it then it shifts over to five years later where he he has abandoned uh, oh he's abandoned uh, Madeline and now he's living in Jamaica but and then he's called in by Felix to help out with the situation and that's where the 
that's where the story really like gets into it. But like, I wanted to go back to the sequence prior to the title uh, to the pre-title sequence. So like, um, well, actually, I wanted to actually the opening actually was pretty cool. Uh, really kind of chilling was that like young Madeline is exactly the way that she described it in Spectre. Like um, her father, Doc, Mr. White kept himself a, would always have a locked room and like a man came to kill him and uh, ended up killing his wife instead. Madeline shot him with the gun that yeah, was underneath the bathroom too. I, sink. I liked how they showed us um, Madeline's backstory as she described Inspector. Yeah, and uh, let's see. Hey, I liked how they, we got to after that. Apparently, at this point, Bond and her are married, I guess. I don't know if they're explicitly ma- married, well, but they're just I, together. I can't help but feel like it is because you know like that one bell hook? Your luggage is already down as your wife requested. I had to actually turn on the subtitles to see if he said that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I know. I don't think I don't think they're actually married. Well, maybe no, I don't think so. per se, but I guess uh, he just calls her his wife because they're together. I don't know. Right, right, right. Um, but no, I mean, I love the act. I love how the action starts. But basically, what I like is that like it begins with him going to see Vesper at her tomb, and basically saying goodbye. Basically, because yes, yeah, you know, in order for brave and then uh, Spectre blows it up. Yeah. Well, no. Well, before it blows up, I wanted I wanted to say was that Bond, like the idea is that you know Madeline's willing to say, willing to share everything with Bond, if he's willing to let his past go. And you know, for the longest time, you know, Bond has been haunted by the death of Vesper, and you know, still lives with it every day. Um, every yeah, every day in every film. So by the time we get to this, you know, Bond is finally willing to move on. Say move on, and it literally blows up in his face. Nah, that's Blofeld for you. He's got a pretty sick, twisted sense of humor. Which he does. Um, do you want to explain this action sequence? Because I think it's pretty fucking epic. Oh, I think it's freaking great. I mean, he first, uh, he's going to get closure by the first woman he was in love with. That literally blows up in his face, yeah. And, <laughs> and he's chased all over Italy by Spectre. And then he gets away from them first by swinging down the bridge, as you see in the trailers. Like... That is pretty impossible. I'm pretty sure you'd have a bunch of broken bones from that, but it's a James Bond movie. What is, I'll, I'll let it slide. <laughs> and then we get some pretty epic, yeah, chase scenes. And I think one of my stunt, that stunt he had that Bond has driving driving the motorcycle up the hill, like um, that's an impressive stunt. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's a really cool small stunt there. Yeah, one of my absolute favorite parts is like I think Spectre has them cornered and i love how they're all shooting at the car the windows are bulletproof and i love that like james james do something and he's just sitting there with a cold stare not doing anything well it's because at that point like james is pretty much defeated like he feels like like what's the point of doing everything if like everything if like everything leaning up leaning up to with madeline everything that he everything he's gone through with madeline has basically been a lie so he's like what's the point of doing anything but hearing madeline telling him like snap out and do something and by the way so he's driving the he's driving the aston martin db5 that he took from um mi6 at the end of specter and this is the same this is the same uh db5 that was first presented in all the way back in goldfinger complete with gatling guns and uh and uh spikes and everything so when bond gets the Bond finally gets the motivation to get him out of there. 
he quickly flips a switch, which is the exact kind of switch that was presented in the previous in Goldfinger. Flips a switch. Um, Gatling guns pop out of the headlights, and he just swerves in a circle, shooting at everything, shooting at uh, the shooting at all the specter agents and then they drive away which is pretty fucking awesome and now i want an aston martin god damn it <laughs> no you no, you just want a bond car it doesn't matter if it's aston martin you just want a car <laughs> that will just do anything i mean like imagine if you had a mini cooper that did that oh man you'd be like i mean like not only i mean like obviously so i saw the i saw mark Wahlberg's the italian job when i was younger and i always had this like image of like like mini coopers are fucking awesome and uh, no one no one explained to me like yeah you know those mini coopers were specifically designed for that movie right you don't realize that they're that badass and i'm like i sure i still don't care though i want a mini cooper <laughs> and if it can, and after seeing this one if it can fire uh, gatling guns fuck it i'm all for it uh, you can do anything what like, is it with movies making you want cars i mean back to the future made me want a delorean ghostbusters kind of made me want a hearse because of that car like what is it with when you watch certain movies, you want a certain vehicle. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake, what's the stuff? I mean, people actually have Batmobiles, for fuck's sake. Like, they actually have tr- tricked out their cars. They've gotten replicas of actual Batmobiles. Yeah, yeah. People people have street-legal Batmobiles that they can drive out there, you know? Um, the sure, they can't have the weapons, but yeah. It's lucky bastards. I'd love to have one of those. <laughs> Um, so, um, Josh, I wanted to ask you, how did you, so we, we talked about Hans Zimmer, but like, how did you feel about the actual score itself? Oh, I thought the score was terrific. It was, uh, it's Hans Zimmer. I mean, you can expect a great score from him. It's Hans Zimmer. Come on. And then I, I mean, like, I mean, sorry, I, what were you going to say? Yeah. And, and I mean, I especially liked when he was playing the music when Bob finally dies at the end. That was pretty good. I mean, like, I, I mean, like Hans Zimmer, I, I enjoy Hans Zimmer. Don't get me wrong. He always does something interesting, like his score for Dunkirk with basically a ticking time, like a, a literal ticking clock um, with the motif in there, because it's like the countdown of like everyone trying to escape Dunkirk before the Nazis come in. Um, but yeah, I mean, he does have always something, something interesting for his scores. I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen Dune yet, but like I know like people are. I know, I know based off the trailers, like there's a lot of like Middle Eastern music references in there. And then like one of the things I, I always, I will always recall. So like, this is another major reference to Honor Majesties. Um, and there's plenty of those references scattered throughout the movie. Um, but like one of them is like, so Bond goes to meet M at a, like by the Thames River. Right. And um, as he's, as he's talking about it with M about being in the mission and someone pointed out it's because he's being reinstated into the service. He's back on her majesty's secret service. You literally hear the theme of uh, John Barry's on her majesty's play in the background as performed by Hans Zimmer. And you're just like, son of a bitch. Yeah. And they also, so looked at some dialogue from that movie. Like I think the last lines of the movie is she's just resting. We have all the time in the world. Same lines Daniel Craig says in this movie. Well, she doesn't, he doesn't say she's resting part, but he does have the other part. That's another. That's another thing about this movie, isn't it? Is like, I mean, obviously, they're it's plain homage to all. The, it's plain homage to Honor Majesties with that. I would say this movie is almost the reversed version of uh, Honor Majesties, if yeah, you will. Where like in that movie, yeah, and in that movie, Tracy dies. In this movie, it's Bond who dies, and his family goes on to live without him. 
but yeah um because like i think time is another kind of like is another kind of like theme in this movie where like you know they have you know like you know bond wants all the time wants all the time with madeline and now at this point um bond's like you're gonna have all the time in the world now because of what i've done um that sort of that sort of stuff um because now because now that even though even though matilde won't be able to live father no no won't be able to won't physically know who her like she won't know her father but but you know madeline can at least tell her who her father was you know yeah, she can learn who her father was to her. Wanted to do a reboot thing in the future. They could go like twenty years from now, where she's all grown up and training to be a double O like her dad. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. I I don't know if I necessarily want to go that route, but uh, I mean, you know, anything's possible. Um, speaking of which, we haven't we haven't gone to um, we haven't gone to. Uh, I think. Uh, kind of i would say one of the more wasted parts of the movie i kind of feel like because he's i mean like don't get me wrong i i love rami malik but like and i bought his performance as freddie mercury and bohemian rhapsody was great it's just that bohemian rhapsody was not a really great movie um this here um i mean i i safin definitely so his 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 full name is uh lucifer safin basically he's saying he's lucifer um but safin is safin is a very kind of intimidating kind of like guy he's very soft-spoken very kind of like he very has much a kind of a creepy feel to him um he does he definitely sees himself as kind of a anti-hero yeah very much an anti-james bond in the sense that like he he sees that everything he's doing is a way of like saving the world like he wants to kill the world because it's been heavily influenced by specter i mean mr white is the one who killed his entire family with poison and now he's going to use that now he's going to use kind of like the almost the exact poison almost to kill the rest of the world because he's so angry with what specter has done with his life and so now he's lashing out the rest of the world but i don't know i feel like i mean like you kind of for i don't know he's he's he doesn't really have i mean he I'll say this much. He's successful. He's like, he's done what no other bond villain has ever done. He's killed bond. Um, even though he's killed bond in death. Um, but I mean, he's kind of not the best. He, it's, it, it's difficult. Cause like he is like, if you, if you had written in him better, he would have been a much better villain. But as it is, I feel like Rami Malek's bond villain is not, that memorable other than the fact that like he could have easily been a like he definitely he definitely he has that he has that villainous charisma that rami carries with like pretty much every role but like that just that charm and charisma but you know it's just in a very um intelligent soft-spoken evil kind of way but i don't know how you feel about safa and josh mm. I, I liked the villain. I personally thought that, uh, at least for me, I thought he was a great villain when he was on screen, but unfortunately he's not on screen that much in this movie. But when he is on screen, I think he's a great vil- villain in this mo- movie. And I, I, was, I just wish they could have done a little more. Like, maybe we could have seen a little more with him. They could have done a little bit more. But for what they did, I thought it worked. Did I think he was better than um, 
Silva of Skyfall or Le Chief of Casino Royale. No, I didn't think he was better than them, but he'd be my third favorite of the Craig villains after those two, at least for me. There's another thing that you mentioned. There's another thing since we're talking about villains like that I would probably like to bring up is like, so there's a there's one thing that a lot of Bond films haven't done. It's like and, and it's like pitting villains against villains. It's not. And then Bond's just caught in the middle. In this case, it's like Safin versus Spectre and therefore Safin versus Blofeld. And he's only in the movie for like a scene or two. But, you know, like it, I so I'm controver- so I know I'm in the minority, but I really actually really enjoy Christoph Waltz as Blofeld. I know that a lot of people don't care, don't like that he's playing that his Blofeld is essentially Bond's foster brother. Um, I, I, I mean, like, I get it. That's a way to uh, connect the villain to the hero so that it's more of a personal conflict. But I mean, like, for what they did, I thought it was, I wasn't, I, mean, I was okay with it. Like, but I feel like Waltz's performance in both Spectre and here was just great in general. Um, I, I, but then again, it, that's the power of Christoph Waltz. He just has that, he just has that charm and charisma to him as well. Um, I mean, spoilers, he dies. <laughs> basically, he's um, basically uh, he's been infected with the nanobots that kill people. Um, it was supposed to be Madeline that would kill him, but Bond accidentally touched her. And by vice of as of sorts, uh, Bond kills um, Blofeld. Ironically, he kills Blofeld um, with a line from the novels, which is a uh, die Blofeld, die. And essentially, he does kill Blofeld. So, um, and only because he had to tell him, like, by the way, that whole thing with Madeline, you ruined your life for nothing. I did all that. that so <laughs> he fucked with him for nothing. He won. Yeah. So how do you? How do, I never asked you. What did you feel about in general? How did you feel about uh, Christoph Waltz's Blofeld? Well, I. Well, come on, it's Christoph Waltz. Uh, I mean, he was he gave a great acting performance in both films. I agree. I just. Uh, and I thought he was a decent villain. I just didn't like that they made him Bond's foster brother. That I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I can at least appreciate how they used that to their advantage in this movie because that allowed them to raise the stakes because apparently you get this virus thing, whoever you're touched that you're related to or in any way genetically they're altered to touch, you die. So I can at least appreciate how they used it to their advantage. <clears throat> yeah. I, I Yeah. I mean, like Bond does, I mean, like, uh, what's his name? Um, I mean, <laughs> Blofeld. Jeez, Blofeld. I mean, Blofeld doesn't really have a huge purpose in the film. He's just kind of there, just to like, um, kind of advance the plot. But you know, it's always just great to see Waltz in general. I mean, like ever since seeing him in the uh, Inglorious Bastards, and and I think he said and, he'd only come back to play Blofeld if uh, Craig was still playing Bond. So since uh, Craig is done, dead in this movie, I guess it makes sense to kill Blofeld. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it really does in this case. Um, another character they killed off, Felix Leiter. Um, Jeffrey Jeffrey Wright's Felix. Um, I th- I would I you know I'm gonna I mean like I'd say that you know a lot of people don't really talk about the Felix Leiter interpretations or you know portrayals in film. Like every, he's been like played so he's been like he's been played more times than um, Bond yeah, has been yeah. replaced. Like yeah, um, I personally find. Jeffrey Wright to be the best Felix in my opinion. Like the, um, just because like he has this, he's like consistent and he fits this story, like this story for this bond in general. And, uh, like his death also kind of mirror the way he dies is almost mirrors the way that, um, 
Vesper dies, if you've noticed, like the way like he gets oh, shot yeah. by his he gets he gets shot by his partner who turns out to be and then he drowns. Um, yeah, he t- and yeah, and, and he drowns. Um yeah, just I kind of a I didn't think of that. Huh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but like but you know the end but like here's another reference by for to another Bond film, by the way, but like you know how so like he calls himself the brother from Langley in Casino Royale. And so when Bond finally catches up with the guy who killed Felix, uh, Bond says that like I had a brother. His name was Felix, and then he kills him. But did you notice? I don't know if you so there's a there's a reference from Your Eyes Only in uh, the death of Logan Ash, who's the man who's the CIA agent who kills Felix. So like he like he falls like there's a car about to crush him, like fall on top and crush him, right? Yep. And um, it's similar to a scene similar to the scene in um, Before Your Eyes Only, uh, where Bond just like tips the just kicks the car over and sends the baddie down to his death. Um, basically, he um, just basically like pushes the car and it falls on top of them. And you're like, that's a very cold blooded death or murder. Um, pretty, pretty brutal. Um, I don't know if you made that connection, but I was, I was just like, yeah, that's right. That I, I remembered that in this case. Um, <clears throat> there is one other character I wanted to talk about whatnot um josh and that was um so after bond retires obviously you know he retires the 007 name but um in this so in this case we actually get to see his replacement and it's and her name is nomi played by lasana lynch and um i know i guess i remember when before the movie came out there was a lot of controversy so there was a lot of controversy and so you know here at the show at two nerds kids in a podcast i mean like We'll always talk about making sure that, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, like we're all for representation, but like, how does it advance the story or whatnot? But, you know, um, ethnicity diversity doesn't have to, doesn't really play in here. What's more important is what's what the main kind of thing I'm getting at here is more of the focus of like, uh, um, is it, is, is no time to die woke. And fortunately, no, surprisingly, like, Sure, you have very strong female characters in this movie for sure, but like, no, never at one point does this film feel like it's woke in any way. Actually, in a lot of ways, it actually like, it actually like, um, like respects its female characters, um, and still, and they and they don't downplay on Bond or any way. I mean, I mean, like Nomi actually kind of. I mean, Nomi introduces herself to Bond and say, "Like, look, I'm the new 007, so stay out of my way," that sort of thing. And then over time, she learns to respect Bond, and then so much so by the time that she and Bond go to save uh, Madeline and Matilda, she's like, "Sir, permission to have Bond be reinstated back as 007," and Emma's like, "Granted." And so that's kind of the final kind of. Um, that's kind of like the final show of respect for Nomi saying that like saying like okay I understand I understand why you were considered 007 I feel like you deserve the title and like she respects Bond in that way because I remember at one point um she, they, she um, Bond shows up back at M's office with everyone and you know like Bond's been reinstated back as a double agent and she's just like what's his designation double O what now? And, uh, they don't say it. They don't say what his designation is, but they just say he's a double agent and nobody's kind of confused if he's been reinstated as double O seven or whatnot. But how'd you feel about the character, Josh? Well, go controversy wise trailers. I 
I I was I was positive they were gonna make her 007, but I wasn't gonna say make any snap judgments. I was gonna wait to see how the end product handled that before I could say anything. And I'm glad I did because I was I was fine with the way they handled it because they basically said it in this movie where when you retire, your number is retired, which pretty much means it can be replaced. Which I kind of suspected they were probably doing. So I said, if that's all they're doing, where she got the number just because he retired, that I would be okay with. And that's exactly what they did. So I was fine with it, especially when she handed the number back to him. But it didn't make Mm -hmm. the character any less cool. I thought she was a pretty cool addition to the movie. And I thought she had some cool moments. One of my absolute favorites is like when the Russian is basically being racist to her, then she just kills him. And then she kind of like says the movie time. Of the, she kind of says the movie, um, the title of the movie opens. She's just like, um, um, doctor, it's time. What time to die and just kicks him into the acid. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was awesome. I mean, no, she's actually a really badass character. I actually think her character is pretty cool. Um, just the way, the way she kind of handles herself going. So let's, let's go, let's go back to Cuba um, and talk about, that sequence when uh, Bond and Paloma like meet up to get together and uh, go spy on the specter gathering, if you will. And uh, it's, and it ends in like one of the, like one of the more exciting, like kind of like shootouts I've seen where basically they're trying to retrieve this doctor from uh, retrieve this doctor and like get answers out of him. But like, it's kind of like a uh, grabbing, grabbing switch between, um, between MI6 and the CIA because yeah, it's almost like a game of hot potato, but like this, this is where, so like I, I said earlier in this, in this episode, in this installment that like, you know, Paloma, she's a very bubbly kind of like a bond girl. Um, and she, you know, she's very ch- jovial and cheerful, but like when she gets down to it, she fucking gets down to it. Like she, she comes out to play like she, like she knows exactly how to handle her, her like submachine guns. She knows how to handle her firearms. She can kick like nobody's business. Like oh, yeah. very much a, very much a really cool character. I'm. It's really sad that she's only in the movie for I would say maybe ten minutes, fifteen minutes tops. Yeah. But like she makes those. She makes every minute that she's on screen like count. Like it's excellent. Oh yeah, I loved her, and her despite the short run. I especially love the humor that goes into it with her and Bond. Like she's like, I think before the sequence begins, then they just say, "Well, this is gonna go well." I know. I've been training for this for three weeks, and then when he actually sees <laughs> three weeks, huh? he's like, "Hold on, you've been doing this for three weeks." I mean, like Josh, is are, are you sure you weren't just distracted by just how ridiculously gorgeous she was in that dress? Oh, I love her in that dress. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say something. I, I I was like, I'm surprised you didn't say anything at all at this point. Um, oh, and I, hmm. I do love some of the humor too. Like I think uh, when she wants Bond to put on his tux, I think he gets the wrong impression. Don't you think we should know each other first? Yeah, I was I, I was surprised that they actually. I'm surprised that like, um, I was actually. I mean, like, I was surprised that like, because I thought during that one moment too, like I thought that like something was gonna happen between the two, but like it's actually Bond who's actually just like, um, is it okay? Um, is it like, can I actually just change my tux instead? And yeah, and he and he actually tells us like, um, can you turn around so I can change? And uh, I'm usually like, I'm just, I'm just harkening back to the old Bond from like Connor through Brosnan, who's just like, no, uh, oh, please watch me change. <laughs> how about it? Why don't you? Go, how about it? 
uh, why don't you come here and kiss me? And that sort of stuff. That's the bond we kind of know and are more familiar with, but no bonds actually a little bit like, um, here, can I change first? And I don't know if that, I don't know if that was more of a PC thing or what, not just because of the generation we live in, or maybe it's just more like a bot or maybe they're just going for the more realistic, more realistic take where bond is just more older in season. And he's just like, do you mind that sort of stuff? Um, either way, it makes a really great comedy, which is really cool. Um, but then like the way, and so luckily she, Paloma doesn't die, luckily, but I just like how they leave it open-ended. So, like, if Bond had survived and returned, and she actually says, like, stay a little longer next time, and Bond's like, I'll take you up on it. <laughs> so, like, it's so like even then, like, I mean, like, the chemistry between the two already is great. Like, obviously, Daniel Craig and um, mm. Ana de Armas are, like, fantastic actors, and, like, they work off each other really well. Yeah. Like, that's it the, chem- that's the excellence of the chemistry. It does help that I'm familiar with the potential chemistry between them because of Knives Out. Right. That's right. I haven't seen that movie yet, which is surprising. I need to go watch that. But but yeah, seeing the two work together here was just awesome. Like their chemistry and like it's like you're seeing like a young it's basically seeing like a young, younger generation with a like a really fresh younger generation with a seasoned veteran, if you will, working together. And like they bounce off and like you said, they work together really well. Like actually, like Paloma, Paloma has one of the best moments in that sequence where basically like like uh the doctor that they're standing that they're trying to get is standing on top of this wooden like a uh, wooden like a stand or whatnot on the street and um paloma drives underneath it and causes it to tip over and they catch him back that way which is great um but yeah no i think i think that sequence is really great um i actually i actually really like the sequence at um at um saffin's lair on the island which by the way I can we talk about set design for a second because like the design for I mean like the movie itself like I mean the set design all the set I mean like Bond is known Bond films are known for having amazing like set designs and I feel like the best set design piece in the movie is Safin's Island because you know there's like all these like corridors there's a lot of like Japanese influence there and there especially with the poison garden which looks like a zen garden kind of it's like a zen like Japanese like a uh, garden and because uh, like they called the poison garden because there's a lot of poisonous plants that grow in that garden. Um, how did you feel about the set design for this, especially uh, Safin's Island? Oh, I thought the set set design was terrific. Like, I mean, most of them, everything about this movie is it's great. I mean, everything they did with this movie, they really put a lot of care into it. And this movie was made on like a budget of two, 300 million and it really shows, but Thankfully, this movie made more than half its budget back. It did, didn't it? Which is good because um, it's. I think it's one of the more. I think I mean, especially for the pandemic, like it's one of the more successful movies of the pandemic for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the set design I liked. I love the uh, the farming and I love the farming facility for the or farming factory slash facility for the nanobots that are being grown or whatnot like it just had that has like that ominous kind of like dark corridor look to it with those like light poles sticking out of the out of the hot acid water or whatnot that sort of stuff just like some pretty like really gnarly like set like set work um like really going to really going for the grandiose of bond films because like bond films again really have this really interesting like they never like I would say for aside from a few movies like Bond films really know how to like really know, like you said they really know where to put their money 
in terms of set design and like um especially when you harken back to um all the movies that have been designed by ken adam who is the original production designer for a lot of those older films and like those fucking stand out and i feel like this is even though ken adam didn't design it like i'm sure he'd be looking at this be like i like this i like this design me too I, I also like it when sometimes the movies will change directors. I think sometimes it may work, it may not, but I think but because they tend to change directors, it gives the movies a fresh perspective. I mean, you know, Martin Campbell only did Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace, Mark Forster did that. Um, mm-hmm. um, um, Sam Mendes did Skyfall, and then he did Spectre, and I think that's why why I enjoyed Spectre. It felt too much of the same as Skyfall because obviously it's the same director. But I was glad that they changed directors for this final outing. It made things more fresh. Yeah, I agree. I I, I especially I was actually going to ask. Um, so we talked about we talked about a couple of the action sequences, but I think one of the really great action sequences is the stairwell shootout, where like Bond is like going up the stairs to get to the missile silo controls. And uh, he just encounters all these like armed soldiers here and there. And he finally kills the main henchman of the film in the stairwell shootout as well. Um, I liked, I, I liked that. It was like, like he goes up and is just like winding up the stairwell here and there. And then like the way he kills the main boss, main henchman, because the main henchman has like a, has like a fake eye, like a cybernetic eye. Um, and like, isn't that Bond has an EM. can see him. Yeah, so just so because yeah, so that Blofeld can look around, but um, I think also, I believe also Blof, um, because he actually, I, I don't know if it's been revealed, but he eventually goes to work for Safin instead. But yeah, um, no one gives a shit about his name. By the, I call him Cyclops because that's what Bond calls him. I would have just called um, him my guy. <laughs> and probably Stone Powery just referenced him there, but I wouldn't blame you if that's what you think. Right. Uh, I know he's called Primo, but yeah, I, I, I call him Cyclops. But yeah, basically Bond fights Cyclops, and uh, <laughs> what? And Bond was equipped. Bond was equipped with a uh, cyber with a EMP watch. Basically, he uh, uses the EMP watch on Cyclops, and he causes the eye to explode, basically killing the guy. Yeah, and, I love um, the joke he makes. I don't remember. I don't remember the line that Bond says, but it's pretty I do. fucking fantastic. I actually watched this movie before I slept. His line is like really blew his mind. <laughs> God, Bond has some. I ever Bond has some of the best one-liners ever. Oh yeah, one of my favorites comes from Sean Connery at the start of Goldfinger. I think he like shocks that one guy in the bathtub. Shocking, absolutely shocking. <laughs> one of my favorite lines was after he kills uh, Zinnia on the top in uh, in Goldeneye and goes, "She always did enjoy a good squeeze." <laughs> Yeah, or like, I think it's at the end of Live and Let Die. He actually turned a guy into a balloon and he blows up. He always did have an inflated opinion of himself. <laughs> there are like, the the excellent pun game, is, the pun game is like excellent. It almost rivals your pun game, except Bond makes it better. No, no, it's true. Uh, mine are pretty bad. At least I admit so, no, Josh is known, if, if you hang around with Josh lo- long enough, Josh will make really bad dad puns. <laughs> And they're kind of the bane of everyone's existence. So yeah. please just take my word for it. Uh, yeah, even I take your word for it. And I'm the one that does them. <laughs> so, Josh, um, in terms of in terms of um, everything for this, where would you how would you rank? Where would you rank No Time to Die in terms of just the Craig films? Because, you know, the Craig films are um, 
the Craig films are, you know, all over the, are kind of like all over the place, but like, you know, every single, everyone has like different preferences. I would say for me, casino still on top. Sky falls. Number three. I mean, number two, number three would be no time to die. Number four would be specter. And then at the bottom would be quantum. Uh, I would say, I know. And here's the thing. Like, I think quantum, it's, I, it definitely, it definitely deserves a criticism, but I don't think it's as nearly as bad. I'd still would take, I'd still say that die another day is the lowest point in bond in the bond franchise. But, um, because at least there's there's some you know um, uh, redemp some redeeming moments in that film of Quantum, not um, not Die Another Day. But where do you how do you rank the Craig films, Josh? Well, for me, I'm in the minority. Uh, no Time to Die is my top favorite Craig film. Uh, Skyfall's behind it, and then there's Casino Royale. All uh, then there's Spectre, and then there's Quantum of Solace. Before it was the other way around. Before it was. Is Quantum of Solace and then Spectre for me, but because of No Time to Die and how they expanded on that, it made me appreciate Spectre a little bit more to make a top four. That's fair enough. Um, so how do you? So, Josh, how do we feel about this being a definitive ending for Daniel Craig? I think it fits as an ending for Daniel Craig. The way people are towards the ending, I would understand that reception if this were like the other movies where like he's supposed to live at the end so they could do like a continuation like they did from um, Connery all the way up to Brosnan. If they were doing it like that, then I would understand and how this ending is criticized and said, that's a terrible ending. That, I would understand it if it were like that, but because it's Daniel Craig's story, I thought it made sense to do this ending the way they did. Especially because when you look at it, he lost everyone. Vesper, M, Mathis, Felix. He lost everyone he's ever cared about except for Madeline. And so I thought it made sense that he went as well. So how do you, um, real quickly, I guess before I end it, how did you feel to the call back, the final callback for Honor Majesties with... Louis Armstrong's all the time in the world because I was that kind of like caught me off guard. Oh, that was that was pretty nice. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's gonna. Yeah, that's. I I don't know where it's going with this. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Josh, I really like to thank you again for uh, coming back onto the show and talking a little bit about Bond. Um, we've never really talked about Bond on the show. It's a shame. I like to talk more about james bond um hopefully jeff will be back to talk about bond at some point but uh josh i know we have something else that we have in store for everyone else um at some point but um don't want to say it right now because because uh, that, that's giving away plot details for future installments but anyways josh thanks for thanks for coming back on and talking about bond i really appreciate it oh thanks for having me anytime you want me to do more uh more stuff just ask me and i'll uh, i'll be here Right on, man. Right on. Thanks, sir. No problem. All right, folks. Well, there it is. That is the entire review of uh, No Time to Die with Josh and... uh, it was great to have Josh back on to talk more about stuff, and I'm always glad to always have a conversation with Josh about stuff. And uh, if little side note, like the reason why sometimes Josh in the past is a little bit quieter is because we usually so a little bit of a production uh, history, I guess. Like you, me and Jeff usually like to record our episodes at night, but um, because I usually work during, we both work during the day. But yesterday I had, um, but. 
um, when we recorded this, I had a day off. And so um, we'd be, uh, me and Josh recorded in the evening, and Josh was a little bit more lively. And so it was nice to hear Josh. It's nice to hear him be a little bit more lively in the sense. But, yeah, no, it was good to, it was good to hear his voice and everything. So, but, um, yeah, no, today was a, today was a really great um, episode, and I'm really glad that everyone hopefully enjoys it or whatnot. But, yeah, uh, well, that's going to do it, folks, in the meantime. But, um, be sure to, of course, follow the show, of course, at TNAPCast on Instagram. That's T-N-A-A-P-C-A-S-T. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like and comment on all the videos there, and leave us suggestions for other videos as well, um, other movies and television games as well. And we're currently on Apple and Spotify, in case anyone's wondering where to listen. But in the meantime, folks, we'll be back with more stuff on the show and uh until then this is eric saying stay shiny everybody have a good one